So hello, it's Maisie Stapleton here, and I'm talking with Penelope Benton, who is NAVA's Executive Director. Hello, Pe Penelope, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Maisie. Thank you. Great to be here. So NAVA, it's been a very long established organisation, but many people might not know much about it. So tell us a little bit about it. Thanks, Maisie. Um, yes, NAVA, the National Association for the Visual Arts, which is our, our long name, uh, was established in 1983. So we're coming up to our 40th anniversary next year. Uh, we are a membership organisation um, that, that brings together the many, the many voices of the, um, the contemporary visual arts, craft and design sector, uh, essentially to improve the, the fundamental conditions of work through good practice, um, professional development, policy and advocacy are our priority areas. So we're the, the peak body for the visual arts. Um, incredibly, in you know, in, in recent years, um, since we lost our Australia Australia Council multi-year funding, um, you know, the, in the last two rounds at the Brandis cuts, we um, we've had an incredible um, support from our from artists and our membership base. So we currently operate almost seventy percent of our core operating income is from our membership, and they are uh, practicing artists. Um, more than half of those are, are artists. The rest of the, the makeup of our membership are arts workers. We have conservators, registrars, curators, installers, few arts writers, and we have organisation members as well, almost 300 of those. They're in a unique position. We're not, we're not like a union where we represent one, one part of the sector, but instead we're the, the whole the whole sector and all the stakeholders. As I said, it's great that um, despite the lack of government funding or the, the taking away of government funding, you, you're still thriving, which is fantastic and a good message, I think, too. You can be a little more independent, too, in what you do. That is the most exciting thing about what's happened with NAVA's membership is that we are we are almost, almost, in, you know, 100% independent of government and of funding and... Yeah, it, it does say a lot to me and our team about um, the work that we're doing and how it is valued by artists in the sector. Well, campaigns and advocacy are obviously a great part of the work that you do. Let's look at the Vote for Art campaign, which is an election campaign for 2022. So what's the, what is, well, we know the reason behind it because we want more support <laughs> for the arts, but tell us some of the sort of the key ideas behind it and then we can look at some of the various policy initiatives that you want to develop. So, yes, we, we have recently in the last couple of weeks launched our Vote for Art campaign, which aims to increase government support for visual arts um, to really help unlock the full social and economic potential of our community. Um, you know, we all know that visual arts and culture are everywhere and they're in the cities, in the regions, in our remote communities, uh, across every state and territory. What, what is a, a really big message of this campaign also is that it's essential. The essentialness of, the, of visual arts is a, is a big part of our campaign, but also the 15 peak bodies and organisations that came together to, to really you know, to, to unite our message, picking up on really, you know, what the government rhetoric has been for the last few years about, um, you know, essential versus non-essential and the impact of that kind of language um, that's had on all, on all tiers of government, um, but also, you know, across the university sector, across workers everywhere, uh, all businesses, 
um, you know, using words like um, non-essential um, are, are absolutely deeply offensive um, because the arts are essential. They're essential to our health. They're essential to jobs. They're essential to social cohesion, mental health, uh, our national identity, and uh, largely a successful recovery through what has been a most terrific time for so many people in this last couple of years. Um, you know, and there's, there's plenty of research that demonstrates that in times of need, Australians turn to the arts um, and, um, you know, I'll throw a statistic in there that 73% of Australians have sought out arts and culture to improve their mental, their mood and quality of life throughout this pandemic. Um, so, yeah, that's that's essentially what our what our campaign is aiming to to drive um, you know we we Nava feels that all Australians would benefit immensely from ambitious visual arts and culture experiences that are made possible through strategic policy and funding investment um, so okay. um, before we go into some of the individual sort of uh, I guess initiatives that you're calling for um, I read that this is a multi-arts campaign. So how is that so? Well, we, um, we since last year, all of the art forms have been getting together every month to uh, unite some of the messaging. Of course, there are, um, there are different messaging and in, in unique asks and needs across the various art forms. Um, and, you know, visual arts are one of five. Um, there is, uh, of course, music, uh, theatre, opera, um, media arts um, and dance. And we all have been getting together to, to talk about recognising that as an industry, we're, we're much bigger than we are as individual sectors and what, what's important to us. And they have been um, the recognition that, Arts and culture are everywhere and they are essential and that they've sort of been the pinnacle of uh, how everybody's fed off their individual um, campaigns. And ours, um, we also have, have talked collectively um, across the, the multi-art form peak bodies uh, about what's important to us. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a great recognition that um, First Nations practitioners um, and the the community and the um, cultural sector need to be prioritised, uh, First Nations first, um, and we need a arts and cultural plan, which, um, you know, was the first recommendation actually that came out of the, um, the government's own inquiry into the arts uh, that they launched at the end, or that Minister Fletcher called at the end of 2020. Uh, and the report came out last year with 22 recommendations. Uh, and that is a, a bipartisan report um, that had representatives from across all of the, um, all of the political parties. Uh, and um, so, you know, there's a collective agreeance that um, considered a considered approach to ambitious investment is is really important. What we've seen for many years actually is you know sort of ad hoc. Um, what feels sometimes a little bit chaotic about where money is is put um, that doesn't have a um, it doesn't have the the large widespread impact that many of us believe could happen um, if the entire ecology of the arts were recognised and considered. So we're talking about 
not only uh, remote Indigenous groups, but we're also talking about urban urban First Nations people and so forth. Absolutely. It's extraordinarily different. Yes and no. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander arts um, sector is 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 as diverse as any any other group if you want to call them a group um they're absolutely you know remote and regional artists um that are connected to an art center will have different well even an individual art center will be completely different experience to another art center in another region uh and independent artists of course that we're still you know hundreds of independent artists working in remote and regional areas there's loads and loads and loads of incredibly talented and gifted um, remarkable Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists across the southeastern states that are currently not supported really through the IVAS program um, which is run through the Office of the Arts uh, you know across New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania and, and actually the ACT. Well, I What we're seeing also is that um, you know that for, for uh, things have been shifting in recent years but largely there's for New South Wales for example which is where we are now when funding goes to First Nations artists it's usually on a project basis it's not any long-term deep investment and across across New South Wales there will be Aboriginal arts offices that are connected to the regional areas but they'll be put on a one-year contract quite often on a part-time as a part-time gig servicing huge communities with yeah quite disparate and uh, diverse needs professional development services um, all sorts of questions we get a real taste of the the range of questions that artists and and the industry have uh, at Nava as well you know all sorts of things from when people get into trouble uh, right through to you know working out how 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 might they price their work or how do they develop a relationship with a commercial gallery to market their work etc etc so many things yes yeah. yeah well another area which is um i think a very important one is to stimulate long-term sustainability that's right um the government's own inquiry into the arts um, which they launched last year sculpting a national cultural plan igniting a post-covid economy for the arts <laughs> um really long and um a, you know a great a great title um, huge report. Does... i tried to sort of quickly <laughs> read some of it i got lost but uh, it's a very big report so obviously it they took it seriously if you can measure it by the pages <laughs> that's right Maisie. um i think that said a lot to all of us is that what what our biggest takeaway from that report is that they they listened to the sector and they they heard us um, and there is an appreciation that at the at the moment there isn't there isn't effective investment you know fuels um, medium and long term needs of the sector uh, and uh, this is a really lost opportunity for growth. I mean, just when the, the last major inquiry into the arts, which was after the Brandis cuts in, in 2014, they, there was a, a major Senate inquiry at that point. And one of the biggest takeaways for me was the noting that before that cut, the Australia Council had tested the impact of 
six-year funding on on the visual arts or the arts sorry and what they were able to realize from you know some from testing the sector is that um, organizations were able to unlock eight times the amount of investment from the Australia Council with long-term investment and you know what we've been seeing in our um, in our COVID impact surveys is that more than 50% of artists have actually had a huge reduction in artwork sales. So, you know, we're not talking about the government chucking money at artists who are just sitting back and collecting, you know, fists full of cash. Any, any contribution helps people leverage a sustainable income and to really do an assessment of what's needed really um, for independent practitioners for represented artists uh, and and the organisations that sustain that practice uh, will will have a huge benefit to how everything works in a more in, in a you know in a, a smoother term, way. Long term view, yes, exactly. Rather than short term. That's right, and because we haven't had that for such a long time, that's exactly the reason why artists in the art sector had has had such a terrible time during the pandemic because we already hit this crisis exhausted under-resourced which meant that there was there's no there's no kitty there's no um there's no you know backup no money in the when, when in the biscuit that's pit. right <laughs> <laughs> that's right so you know of course so many things collapsed um and organizations have had to um, completely recalibrate what they're doing a huge amount of job job loss across the the industry and the mental health impact has been massive with you know people reporting um 50 to 70 percent declines in in both their confidence in themselves in their careers um but also you know in questioning about what they're doing with their life which is um yeah, yeah, quite heartbreaking. Well, why have there been so many reports that say that visual arts artists have done really well during the pandemic and sold a lot there, more work? <laughs> there have been. Uh, look, the the commercial. There are some commercial galleries who had already established a strong online presence before the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. and those ones so they were already equipped to deal with this not knowing of course that it was coming but you know because they had already been in that space it was quite easy for them to to leverage this as an opportunity really you know for and there have been lots of people I mean you could see from the Harvey Norman profits that people have uh, redirected their uh, their income those who have managed to keep jobs and and don't don't done quite well uh, you know, holidays have been off the table. So, what will I do with my money? Um, I'll buy some things buy and absolutely yes. buy stuff for the house. And in the in the first year of the pandemic, um, particularly, it was you know a lot of people buying a lot of things. Lots of artists did quite well. Commercial artists did some. You know, with good galleries that had online established presence already, did quite well. Um, what we what we've seen in the second year of the pandemic and now is that there's been a nervousness that has emerged. There's a great deal of uncertainty about how long it's going to last, what the um, uh, economy is doing next. We're, we're seeing constant updates about uh, changes to interest rates. People are people are nervous. So there has been 
still people are buying art, but the smaller pieces, they, they sort of lashed out and got the big ones in that first year of the pandemic. Um, but they've got the big, they've got the big painting for the, the lounge room now. So um, yeah, there is a, a, a smaller, there's a smaller invest or, or not at all. Well, absolutely. I think one of the other other parts of that uh, that goal to stimulate long-term sustainability and events and exhibitions business insurance fund, which I think is a fantastic idea, is that a one where the government might underwrite things? That's right. And this has been a um, a call from across the whole arts industry, from across all the art forms, and all the art forms are needing business insurance um, in different ways. In the visual arts, what's happened over the last few years with the pandemic is that constant, you know, a lockdown in Sydney or Melbourne will actually have impact on artists and galleries around the country. There are travelling exhibitions, as you know, tended to go around to a number of galleries, sometimes over a two or three year period. There have been many situations where an exhibition will be stuck from a border closure and um, the, the galleries and the touring networks have had to find, you know, last minute storage appropriate storage even for the artwork or reroute the freight uh, which has been you know added quite exorbitant amounts of money to um, touring exhibitions particularly and in many ways in many situations exhibitions have also traveled and then not been able to be shown or been stuck on the wall and the, the you know the the qualified team from people can't actually go and see the exhibition I people haven't been able to go and see it have opened to no audience at all. That's it's right. So it's so sad. Um, and for galleries, the insurance is is really important for artists, as you, as you say. Lots of people haven't seen that the works, and what that means for an artist is all of that lost opportunity from when when people go and see artwork in a space that wasn't there before for the artists that can often be conversations that lead to another show or another commission or a relationship with a, with a gallery that they didn't have before or a buyer. There's so many opportunities for artists that have been lost with these, the gallery closures uh, and exhibition postponements or cancellations. Well, look, just, mm. just quickly, look, let's look at arts education because that's another platform that you're interested in and that everyone should be interested in too. And it Absolutely. also has been in fairly dire straits in the la- over the last decade or so. Actually the worst, right? The worst. This is this is an area that is so important to me. As somebody ha- who has had an excellent education myself, and I, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't even be the person that I am today, or with the networks that I have and the friends that I've made, had I not had the opportunity to go to university and TAFE for that matter. What's happened over the last few years, and the you know the, actually the last couple of decades, to be honest, um, has been a, a you know, the decimation of art schools across the country. It's also been quite hard to track because they have been chipping away at arts education for such a long period of time that it's it's quite difficult to sort of peel back to work out when was it good? Was it, you know, in the 90s? And NAVA has been working also with the National um, Advocates for Art Education to to really assess what's needed here and ACUADS which are the Australian Council of Art and Design Universities. In the last few years with the the pandemic of course most people will have seen that the the government have made some changes as to how 
that you they give money to the universities or, or take money from fees. There has been an increase in uh, what students have to pay to do an arts degree, um, which has had some impact um, as well as the, the loss of international students on enrolments. And beyond that, as, as universities who also haven't been eligible for any of the COVID stimulus packages, you know, since 2020, they've been really put in a position where they've had to be like, we need to, we need to cut spending. What are we going to do? On a very surface level, I suppose, looking at the real estate, the practice of art, it takes up space to, to, to make things. And what we have seen for many studio-based practices is that universities have sort of looked at the real estate of what a studio might take up and think, what do you mean we only have 20 students making sculptures or painting in that space? We could probably fit 50 students or 100 if put a lecture theatre there. So they you know, actually have been cutting and, and closing long-established studios. Uh, and so there's a huge loss of of that type of, of those facilities, the resources and the knowledge and that the professional and technical staff have in those areas have, have all been cut and lost is a huge hole that is actually terrifying. So yes, we, we are calling for the increase of an investment in university funding for creative courses uh, and the reduction of tuition fees for art subjects. Yeah. And we're also calling for increased funding in, for arts education across um, schools, you know, secondary um, and primary schools um, through the Commonwealth State Schools Funding Agreement. What sort of response have you had so far with this campaign? What have, what have the, some of the politicians' responses been or the party responses been? At the moment, we, we have, um, we've had a, a relatively solid response from the Labor government who um, have said that they will make a commitment to consulting with the sector and updating the Creative Australia a policy that they put out under uh, Simon Crean and Julia Gillard some time ago, the short-lived arts policy back then, which, of course, they did a lot of work on, but, the, you know, the world has changed quite dramatically and there, there are things that we think about now that really need to be considered in, in that plan. They have committed to consulting with the sector over, over this year, um, should they come in and, and rewriting that plan to be launched uh, as soon as the end of the year, which is, is great. We're still, we haven't had a response yet from the Liberal government. Uh, we're still working on that. And we haven't managed to meet with the Greens just yet either. But we, we all know in, a, in an election campaign, the various parties release their commitments to things over a period of time they don't sort of release it all in one go so we um we do have a program of communicating uh, our our campaign and our policy priorities to all of all of the major parties over the coming weeks with the expectation that there will be some commitments published to closer to the election well look there were a couple of quick questions that I wanted to ask you but I think probably the most important one is what sort of support do you need from people who mm. might be listening to this program? Thank you that's a great question. Uh, what we are asking for is that people um, people make a pledge to um, vote for the candidates that make a commitment 
to investing uh, in arts and culture. And um, what we're going to do with those pledges, you can go onto our website and take the pledge, which is really just putting your name to say, you know, I, I will consider the, um, the candidates' um, commitments to arts and culture when I, when I vote. And we are counting those and using those to demonstrate and articulate to the, to the various candidates what the public want and, and who, how many people are behind this campaign. So it's really important to us that we have, um, we have those numbers to, um, to, to, to illustrate the importance to people, as well as that, of course, uh, sharing this with your um, with your friends and family is really important. We know that um, it's it's not enough for just um, the art, artists in the sector to um, to to be voting and thinking about this, but we you know the Australia Council research shows that you know ninety eight percent of us engage with the arts and forty five percent of us make art. That's a lot of people. So we know that you know the more that we're talking about this, the the more people will be thinking about it as they as they uh, exercise their voting on the 21st so of you May. Need, you need champions, basically. We need champions. The community. Yeah. Um, and everybody can be a champion. And, and talking to your local candidates, write letters. They read them. They have to read them. Uh, and, and let people know, let candidates know that this is important to you. It, it does have impact and that the more voices there are, it doesn't need to be a long note, but... It, it, they really do make a difference and that's that's the only way we're going to do it it's not going to be one peak body or one voice it'll be lots of us well that's a great way I think to end this conversation with you thank you so much for talking to us and I thank you I really hope well really not hope I want your campaign to be as successful as it possibly can and achieve such Literally. a lot of the things that you have uh, outlined, which I think are all very important. Thank you, Maisie. So Penelope Benton from NARPA, thank you very much. And we look forward to talking to you perhaps at another time and talking about another campaign or maybe the yes. success of this campaign. And, and let's, let's, have, let's hope for that. We'll strive for that one. Okay. All right. Penelope, thank you very much.